0: There are a lot of jobs in renewable energy and a lot of upside in hiring diverse candidates. If you get the exact same type of person, then you sometimes get caught in that, uh, what I call an echo chamber. You'll hear from Jonathan Alexander at a McLean County wind farm next on WGLT Sound Ideas. Good afternoon. I'm John Norton. On today's show, you'll also hear from Bloomington Mayor Mboka Malamwe taking a more aggressive approach to the city's vacant properties, and we'll take you to a new open mic night in Bloomington where performers like Derek Thorpe have something to say. I've gotten a thrill out of playing for people even though I initially am nervous the first time I go up. Plus, ISU students try to sum up years of research in three minutes. Those stories after a Bloomington Normal News update, which is just ahead. This is WGLT Sound Ideas on 891 FM and WGLT.org, part of the NPR network.
1: Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. Hear My Story continues with local patient Ryan Fuller and his mother, Stephanie. She just put my mind at ease. She's like, hey, there's lots of kids that have hearing aids. It's so much different than what you remember. And just really made me feel comfortable mom to mom. Ryan and Stephanie's full story can be found at BNAudiology.com.
0: the campus of Illinois State University in Normal, this is WGLT's Sound Ideas. I'm John Norton. The Bloomington City Council has just passed an ordinance forcing owners of vacant properties to register with the city. In this interview with WGLT's Charlie Schlenker, Mayor Mboka Malamwe talks about how aggressive the city should be in pushing owners toward the Small Business Development Center, grants, and other redevelopment opportunities.
2: I'm not necessarily sure that we, we need to do that much hand-holding uh, with you know those property owners. I, of course, you know we, we want to help as much as possible. The intent of this particular ordinance was to, you know, to make sure that we know you know what those properties are, uh, where they are, and and also are able to to kind of have a, 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 you know, inspections and things like that to make sure that there are no safety issues. You know. Um, and and i think you know frankly we we've had in the past some some people uh who haven't been very good about keeping their properties up to date or you know as safe as we would like for them to be yeah we can we can certainly help you know with that You know, I I think, uh, you know, I I would hope that most property owners uh, would want to address whatever issues they they have and and know that, yes, you know, they can
3: find help if need be. Well, there's been a a couple high-profile things like the front and center building, which Mm -hmm. have been vacant for Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And um, that is a drain on the rest of the vitality of the downtown. Mm -hmm. So... Where do you draw the line? You want property owners to control their own stuff, but the city also really does have an interest in in certain... Properties or certain neighborhoods not being run down,
2: right? And and that 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 is actually the reason for the ordinance. Uh, you know, it's for uh, you know in general for those property owners who just kind of sit on their property and and do not actively go out and and market the property or or do anything to improve it. You know, in the case of the front and center building, I mean, I've been very disappointed over the years. Just to see that the the property has fallen into a state of disrepair, <laughs> and which I think you know, and there was a point in time, uh, you know, where you know we were seeing even you know safety issues and you know broken windows and things like that, and and the staff had to be a little bit more aggressive to try to address those. What I would like to see <laughs> is uh, what is exactly happening with uh, you know the C2 East. <laughs> which has been, uh, you know, is looking like a really a, a fantastic uh, development, you know, and, and it's a situation where we actually, we had uh, some, some folks who expressed interest in, in uh, you know, fixing the building and, and making it look nicer um, and ready for development, and, and, and here we are. So the city uh, provided uh, some incentives, you know, to, to bring it, you know, up
3: to date. The new ordinance, though, is more of a stick Mm -hmm, than the mm -hmm. carrot of a potential development agreement. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, it is. So how does the the requirement that they list property within 25% of the market value Mm
2: -hmm.
3: help that effort? What pressure does that put on developers? Well, or I on think- on owners, rather.
2: Yeah, on owners. What it does, uh, what we're really looking to, to do, and this is, again, something that you know we're, we're trying to see, uh, because what we don't want is for people to, let's say, who do not have a desire to do anything with that, that property at that time, and to inflate the price, and just to let it sit. You know, so that's why we kind of put that you know 25% uh, uh, cap so that it's uh, you know the price is fairly reasonable and can be marketed and, and and purchased. So when
3: will you know whether it's working?
2: Well, I think we'll evaluate after let's say maybe a year or two, <laughs> and and see if we're we're seeing some activity uh, in that area, and if we don't, then we'll. Uh, we'll sit back and you know reevaluate. I mean the problem has been it's been going on for a little while, so I'm I'm not necessarily anticipate that we, we have a, a silver bullet and we'll fix it within a few months.
3: This is Sound Ideas. I'm Charlie Schlenker. We're talking with Bloomington Mayor Boca Mulambwe. The council just recently approved the Green Fairways development. That's three hundred apartments and seventeen buildings on the southeast side of Bloomington. Mm-hmm that's not exactly a green grass site but it sure is at the edge mm-hmm. wouldn't that have been better further in yes it would be great you know if we had uh,
2: you know infield development that was a a little closer but again this is not necessarily something that we can control uh, the developer you know has the land that they have and and that's what they're you know that's what they're going to do so we we do the best that we can to uh, uh... to a system because as you know we need quite a bit of housing
3: (laughs) well three hundred units that's a big chunk how will that affect that quarter of bloomington
2: Yes, that's something that we're going to monitor uh, uh, carefully. For one, Uh, if I remember correctly, there is, uh, you know, we have all intentions on uh, putting some traffic signal uh, there to make sure that people can get onto Island Grove uh, safely. As I remember as well, uh, we've asked for a traffic impact study uh, just to make sure that you know we understand you know what the, the flow is going
0: to be Bloomington Mayor Mboka Malamwe and WGLT's Charlie Schlanker this is Sound Ideas, WGLT's news magazine. The renewable energy job sector is growing. That's according to a 2022 U.S. Energy and Employment Jobs report. The field so far has tended to be heavily male and somewhat white. One worker in McLean County wants people to know the field can take on anyone. WGLT's Lindsay Jones spoke with Jonathan Alexander. He's the site manager of the Twin Groves Wind Farm in Ellsworth.
4: That One, you don't have to be the... Great Win Tech to join. Two, you don't have to be a man to join. Uh, three, you don't have to be a Caucasian man to join.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: There's great growth opportunities within Win.
5: Tell me a little bit about how you got in that and what your role is now.
4: Okay, so currently I am the operations manager at the Twin Groves Wind Farm mm-hmm. in Ellsworth, Illinois. Mm-hmm. I got into that uh, long story, but <laughs> started out back in 2011, actually March, no no, no, 2009. Oh wow, 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, March of 2009, I started with a company that was a traveling wind company, uh, oh. basically did the specialty jobs, uh, several different platforms. Several different companies Mm -hmm. Uh, did that for almost two years Mm -hmm. and then came across Bloomington during those travels. And I said, hey, this is close enough to a few different cities I like to visit anyway. Mm -hmm. So -hmm. then I jumped on with uh, Vestas at the time. Mm -hmm. And then when EDP decided to go self-perform, I decided I like this platform. I like this city. Mm -hmm. This is where I'll be. Mm -hmm. So I joined EDP and that was five years ago.
5: So in 2009, when you first joined this, this industry, did you see yourself in the position that you're in now? Not at all. Really?
4: <laughs> Not at all. I was brand new to Win. Uh-huh. It, was, it was new. It was exciting. It was one of the only jobs that was paying in 2009. Mm, yeah. Uh, back in that time with that uh, recession era, it was, it was rough. And I had my f- oldest son in 2008. So it was, uh, you know, the option to not work and not bring income in was just not there. Right. So I said, hey, this place is hiring. and I'll give it a shot, see what it's about.
5: And you were like, I'm about that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I did not know I was about that until I <laughs> dove head first and then found out, hey, this is something I could do.
5: When you got into this industry, mm-hmm. and I guess generally now, what do you need to get in? Like, do you, do you need any, like, college? Do you need any... Training, apprenticing, anything like that?
4: (laughs) So the college is helpful. I mean, there's several different ways that you can do the college, too, and there's several uh, community colleges across the country that offer it. I know Heartland here Mm. offers the course as well. Uh, There's six-week courses or two-year courses. just depends on how far you want to go with it Mm. and what you can afford. But that's very helpful, but not necessary. Mm. Uh, there's several people like myself that started with just a basic mechanical or electrical background. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's farm kids, a lot of farm kids, especially being out in these more rural areas. Mm-hmm. The farm kids that have grown up working on tractors or mowers, they've got that hydraulic also having to fix their own machinery. Mm-hmm. And so it's the mechanical background. It's all there. So, we look for those type of things.
5: I feel like there's there's not a lot of jobs that are like super sustainable for mm-hmm. your life that mm-hmm. allow you to come in at Ground Zero mm-hmm. and train progressively you
4: right. know right oh, yeah. that's one of my favorite things about this company and this industry
5: mm-hmm.
4: is you don't have to be an expert right off the gate. Yeah. I mean, sure, anybody loves experience, mm-hmm. but it's not required.
5: Also the EDP website both mm-hmm. place both place an emphasis on diversity Mm -hmm. and cultural diversity as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you've described some ways in which that happens. But, and this seems obvious, but tell me why that that matters and why that's important and what it leads to.
4: So with... Diversity itself, it brings in different ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get the exact same type of person, then you sometimes get caught in that, uh, what I call an echo chamber, mm-hmm. where it's just the same ideas floating around and around, and there's never anything new coming in. Mm-hmm. So with diversity, it gives you a chance to bring in those individuals with a different viewpoint. And one of my favorite sayings is, change your, in order to change your point of view, you have to change your viewpoint Mm -hmm. And I wholeheartedly agree with it because it's the way that I look at things now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, bringing in since I've been in my role, we've hired uh, multiple different ethnicities. And we had our first two female co-workers, which the field field operation side of edp is heavily dominated by men Mm -hmm. but what we've seen in the last you know four years as we're growing Mm -hmm. is more and more women getting interested and i didn't think it was uh more women weren't coming in because they just didn't know but as the word spreads as we're going into these community colleges they're able to say oh hey that is a viable option for me too
0: Mm-hmm. And I love it. WGLT's Lindsey Jones with Jonathan Alexander at the Twin Groves Wind Farm in Ellsworth. Practice makes perfect, especially when it comes to learning a musical instrument. That's the focus of an award-winning thesis from an Illinois State University graduate student. Our next story on Sound Ideas is with Nicholas Steffenhagen. He's with ISU School of Music and won second place in the university's three-minute thesis competition held last week at the Normal Theater. It's pretty well
1: known in our field that the music industry is very competitive. The truth is that most aspiring professionals will not make a living as a musician. What we know is the number one indicator of success is efficient practice. We tell our students that they need to practice like their lives depend on it, because in a way it does, but rarely do we tell them how to practice. For our study, we gathered a diverse list of 20 French horn professionals and 16 ISU French horn students, and we gave them one hour to practice a new piece of music. We analyzed these two groups separately to identify any internal patterns, and then we compared the two to see any major discrepancies. Uh, we found three major differences between these two groups the first is in preparation professionals would spend five to twenty minutes a significant portion of their allotted time preparing themselves on the left hand side is an excerpt from the etude we used Um, most of you will recognize the five-line staff with the assorted pitches but what the professionals were looking for was all of this extra notation the text and symbols above and below the music Students were very eager to start playing and would just jump straight into the music, but as a result, they would miss a lot of these markings. They were playing the notes on the page, but they were literally missing the finer details that distinguish between proficient and excellent performance. The second difference is in time management. In their sessions, professionals would identify and spend more time on difficult sections. Most of them also would complete these in order of difficulty. As for our student subjects, Every single one of them completed these sections from start to finish. And most of them also gave an equal amount of time between sections, regardless of difficulty. The final difference is in the time spent playing. You would think that given only one hour to prepare a piece of music, the most efficient use of time would be to play as much as possible. We discovered that the people who played less improved more. Professionals were engaging theoretically with their music. This helped them reduce fatigue and keep themselves focused. As for our students, uh, a lot of them would brute force their way to proficiency. They were pushing through their fatigue rather than working around it. In summary, we have discovered that professionals have mastered both their management of time and management of mental load. Most importantly, we have discovered ways to nurture these skills in our own students. I'm personally very excited to see what this information will do for both me and my colleagues in the coming years. Thank you.
0: ISU grad assistant Nicholas Steffenhagen, who took second place in the university's three-minute thesis competition. Let's stay with music on our final sound ideas piece today. There's a new open mic in town, this one at Crafted in Bloomington, specifically for singer-songwriters with something to say. WGLT's Lauren Warnicke stopped by last month to talk with host Bruce Moon, who organizes the event.
6: Bruce Moon is a transplant to Bloomington Normal. He and his wife arrived last July, moving from the Chicago suburbs to be closer to their daughter and three grandkids. As the retirees adjusted to life in the Twin Cities, Moon found a noticeable gap in open mic opportunities.
7: I did a lot of research on uh, open mics in the area and
6: came up fairly empty. That's Moon, whose professional career was spent as an art therapist. But he's also a prolific singer-songwriter. As he poked around town, Moon found an open mic at Jazz up front, but Jazz wasn't quite the right fit for his catalog. And he discovered one other.
7: At a place I won't say the name of, but uh, it only happens once a month, and it just didn't feel like there's any rhythm or any sense of community. And that's, uh, I left a community of about 30 or 40 players up in uh, the north sh- suburbs of Chicago, and I really missed that and wanted to see what we could do here.
6: So, it's kind of a field of dreams approach, right? If you build it, they will come? Absolutely. Actually,
7: I just said that to my daughter tonight. (laughs) If you see an old friend and you want to talk and you want to laugh loud, please go to the back of the room so that people up in front of the room can hear. Other than that, those are the rules. I'm going to start off with a couple of my songs just to get us going, and then we'll move right into the future town.
6: Yeah, so you, as kind of a veteran uh, musician and a recording artist, what is the draw for you of continuing to? stand at a mic in a coffee bar on a Friday night?
7: Well, you mentioned that I was an art therapist and and, uh, in my day job in years past I used the visual art as a way to build community and form relationships and so in a lot of ways it's doing the very same work only uh, using music as the primary means and you know, I'm at a point in my life where friends are really important to me. And so I want to make some new friends and uh, and build a sense of community among the singers, songwriters and acu- acoustic musicians here.
6: And how is it for you dealing with that ambiguity, knowing that you could plan this and one person could show up, 18 people could show up?
7: Well, the, you know, the the bulk of my clinical work when I was when I was an art therapist in a psychiatric hospital was with children and adolescents, and with the adolescents, you know, they were pre- often pretty vociferous in expressing their opinion that they didn't want to be there. So I have gotten pretty used to being, un- being comfortable being uncomfortable. And, uh, but I have faith that good things happen when people get together and make music or make art, and I just have to trust the process. <laughs> ¶¶¶¶¶¶
6: night, I met three musicians participating in Crafted's open mic night. There was Nicole Montgomery of Washington, Illinois. She's an Illinois Wesleyan University alum with a degree in music education, but now she plays for fun. I'm going to play a a duet with my friend Josh, and then I'll play a couple songs by myself. I haven't decided what yet though. (laughs) partner here is Joshua Allen of Peoria.
1: Bruce and I met at of the listening room, which is like a mobile open mic in Peoria. And so I kind of kept my eye on him and saw that he had posted this and they've been doing this for a little while. So I was like, well, we should drive over to Bloomington and make it happen.
6: So wh- yeah, a- apart from making friends, community, what's the draw for you in playing music?
1: Music has always been like my passion. You know, I never had the the chutzpah to actually give it a go as a career. So I love, you know, building that local community and those local, you know, gigs that really kind of let you keep fueling that passion, even though it may not be your full-time job.
6: Then there's Derek Thorpe of Bloomington. Thorpe is part of a songwriting group. He's played guitar for a long time and serves as a worship leader at his church. But this was his first ever open mic night.
0: I've always loved uh, music. Um, I've I've gotten I've gotten a thrill out of playing for people, even though I initially am nervous the first time I go up. But um, I just love that feeling. Um, but I also also have been writing some songs, and so it's kind of cool to share my own songs. Excuse me, let me, let me get those uh, off your shirt. It's nice to meet you, but my hands over here.
6: I should mention here, Thorpe is visually impaired. He mentioned this to the audience when introducing his song, Blind Guy Blues. Everywhere, people
0: to help me, Save it from myself.
6: Next open mic night at Crafted is March 10th. Host Bruce Moons gets there around six and the playing starts at about 7.30. I'm Lauren Warnicky.
0: Open mic nights are booked through April on the second and fourth Fridays of the month.
6: Support for arts and culture programming on WGLT comes from PNC Financial Services. We're focusing on giving back as part of an ongoing commitment to the community PNC serves.
0: And that's Sound Ideas today, WGLT's news magazine is supported by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm John Norton with story help today from WGLT's Charlie Schlenker, Lindsay Jones, and Lauren Warnicky. The show produced by Samantha Hill. This is 89.1 FM, WGLT and WGLT.org, Bloomington Normal's public media, part of the NPR network.